Welcome to the Granite Cornerstone. Good evening and welcome, everyone. It is great to have you here with us tonight for episode number three of the Granite Cornerstone. This episode is entitled We've Been There and is considered a two-parter with our next episode. We're just getting started. Joining me tonight, we have uh, Brother David Evans-Brown from the 8th District of New Hampshire, Senior Warden of Burns Lodge, number 66 in Littleton, New Hampshire. Brother Brown is a 54-year Mason. Brother Brown, welcome. Thank you, sir. Uh, also joining us this evening, we have Right Worshipful Brother Earl Cole joining us from the 3rd District. He's a past master of King Cyrus Lodge in Massachusetts, a past district deputy grandmaster in two separate grand jurisdictions, and is the secretary of Charity Lodge number 18 in Jaffrey. Brother Cole, right worshipful Brother Cole, is a 24-year Mason. Welcome, and thank you for joining us this evening. Very happy to be here. And next up, we have right worshipful Brother Mark Roth. Mark is a past master of Horace Chase Lodge number 72 in Penacook. He has served as district deputy grand lecturer of district number 4. He is a, an active member of the Supreme Council, a 33rd degree in Scottish Rite in the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction, and he is the deputy for Scottish Rite, New Hampshire. Uh, Brother Roth is a 38-year Mason. Welcome, Right Worshipful Brother Roth. Thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, glad I got that call this afternoon to join you all. Yes. Uh, Mark is a, is a late addition to the program this evening. Uh, our original guest had a, an issue this afternoon that is preventing him from being here, and uh, we're glad you were able to, to join us at last minute, so thank you. Thank you. Brethren, the purpose of tonight's episode is to hear from brothers who have a lot of experience within this fraternity. As you heard me say, we've got uh, uh, our youngest brother on the call is a 24-year Mason, and uh, our oldest brother here is a 54-year Mason. And this, this is an opportunity we don't always get to have uh, in Lodge. We have a lot of brethren who have, who have those kind of tenures in our Lodge, but they're not always the ones who are making it out to our Lodge meetings. And we've got three very active brothers all serving their Lodges, their grand jurisdictions, and the Scottish Rite. And uh, we're glad to have them here. So let's get to it. So the first question that I'd like to ask to each of you and I think something that, that can really frame our discussion tonight is an understanding of why you first petitioned Masonry. What brought you to the fraternity and, and how has that impacted you uh, over the course of your life? Uh, Brother Cole, why don't you start us off? Very happy to. Do we have a, long, a lot of time to speak this evening? We've got, uh, we've got all the time we need. Okay. Well, ba basically, um, for those who aren't aware, I married my wife in 1970. And her family has a long history of Freemasonry. And 1975, she and her mother approached me and said, Earl, you need to get a sense of humor and maybe joining Freemasonry would be good for you. <laughs> and I so I explained to her the fact that being a Roman Catholic, I knew nothing about Freemasonry except that it wasn't for me. And they said, there's nothing wrong with it. Talk to her Uncle George. So I spoke to Uncle George and I said, George, what's Freemasonry all about? And he says, I can't tell you it's a secret. So it kind of shut me down for about 20 years. And then a good friend of mine said, hey, are you still interested in joining Masonry? I'm a Catholic, he said, and I tell you, it's the best thing you'll ever want to do. So I took his advice. Um, I called uh, Lodge in Reading, Massachusetts, and wound up speaking to Right Worshipful Bob Crockett, who later became my mentor, and the, the one who really made me enjoy Masonry the best. And it's done a lot to fulfill that uh, requirement. Times have certainly changed. I know I came to Masonry uh, a little over a decade ago. And for me, I came through the open house system. So for you to have that experience being told it's a secret and you're never going to know what's <laughs> going on. And for me to walk in the open door of a lodge in Nashua is a, a drastically different experience. Absolutely. You know, as I said, being with a Roman Catholic... As a matter of fact, uh, after my mother passed away, my aunt called me on the phone and told me the fact that uh, my mother would never stand for my being a Mason, 
truly because of the fact she, they don't understand masonry and where it's not by a particular religion, it's any religion. And I've never regretted being a Roman Catholic and becoming a member of masonry. Brother Roth, how about you? What brought you to the fraternity? Well, it was a couple of different things intersecting at the same time. Uh, one, one was that uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and after my wife and I moved to New Hampshire, uh, it became a source of family and brotherhood for me to, to join the lodge. I didn't know all of that until uh, I was working one day, and a man walked into my office, and we began to talk, and he started talking about uh, doing all this work at his lodge. I asked him about it, and... Uh, then I talked to my wife. She said, well, her father's a Mason, and her grandfather was a Mason, and her great-grandfather was a Mason, so she came from a large uh, family of Masons. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know anybody in my family that was a Mason. So eventually, in just conversation with my father-in-law and people I met at work, I found out about the lodge in Pentecook, and then... Uh, Actually, it turned out that folks who signed my petition were members of my church. So um, that worked out very well. And I guess the rest is history since 1982. That's that's actually really interesting because when I first joined the fraternity, I, I didn't know anyone who was a Mason at the time. I think I'd met one gentleman at my office. And, and having joined the fraternity, I can still say there's been very little uh, – intersection with my my life outside of the fraternity so it's interesting that you had so many people surrounding you who are uh, who are also members of the craft well that the interesting thing about that now is um with the exception of my church the rest of all gone I, I i'm retired so i don't work anymore uh i'm not in pennsylvania anymore for you know 20 some 20 some 30 years uh since i've been in pennsylvania so much of that is gone. What remains is masonry. And uh, I've expanded my involvement in masonry through Scottish Rite. And that's given me an outlet beyond the lodge, beyond the district, beyond the state. So that's been very rewarding as well. That's fantastic. Uh, Brother Brown. Yes, sir. You have uh, the longest tenure here in the fraternity. Uh, you... <laughs> It looks like you became a Master Mason in 1966? 1966, yes. Uh, what was it that led you to our doors? Well, my my father, both of my grandfathers were Masons. Um, so it, it was almost natural to, to come through the door and put in an application. I admired many of the, many of the gentlemen that my father did business with and, and attended lodge with and went to church with, and I figured it was just a natural place for me to go. So I, I submitted my application in December of 65, was raised in April of 66. Two weeks later, Uncle Sam said, here I am, and I've joined the Navy. <laughs> and so, and, the, and Masonic fraternity has been good to me, was good to me all through my Navy service. Now, Reflection is something that, that we as Masons are taught to do on a, a semi-regular basis. I think that, you know, looking back on the things we've done in our lives and, and framing our future with those reflections is an important thing for everyone to do, uh, but certainly within the, the goals of the fraternity. When you look back at your entire career in Masonry and you look back to that young man who's first knocking at the door, what do you think you would have liked to know? What piece of advice would you give yourself uh, standing at the door petitioning a lodge? Uh, Brother Brown, why don't we start with you? I, I would say basically just keep an open mind. You, you know you're going into something that's good. You don't know what's in front of you. Just take take a jump on the ride and go because it, it was the most wonderful experience I've, I've had. Well, one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. How about you, Brother Cole? I think it's the same thing, is that uh, when you're at that door and you have nothing, 
no idea as to what to expect other than that everyone tells you to just relax and trust the person you're with that it, it made a lot of sense and i once i passed through that door and what a relief it was and and what a great experience and how well i was treated it um made a big impression on me and what also was the fact of the, the amount of support and encouragement i received through the years and it uh it's everlasting with you forever brother roth i see you nodding your head there i do uh, i agree 100 percent with earl in that uh the encouragement and support of the brothers uh I, I didn't realize that. I thought I would have to really live up to their expectations, and I certainly do. It's that kind of fraternity where there's a, an expectation of how we act and how we work with each other. But the support and, and uh, you know, the, the feeling that they want everyone to succeed. It's, it's not a, a, a membership where uh, people are out to get you at all. <laughs> it's they want you to succeed and that i think that's a would be a great message to a, a new uh, person just knocking at the door that all of those brothers inside that door want you to succeed and they will support you yeah i think that's a very important message i know sitting in the east i've seen new brothers come in i've initiated brothers i passed them i've raised them and having gone through the experience of sitting in the officer line, it's very encouraging to see the support that you can get from the officers who came before you and from the members of your lodge. And I think that is a really important message to give to every young Mason is that at every point, no matter what you may think is happening, somebody is there to support you and, and help you and guide you in your journey. Now, speaking of Masonic journeys, we have two brothers, uh, who have gone through the line in, in their respective lodges. They've been district deputies. They've held positions within the Scottish Rite. And Brother Brown, you're just now uh, going through the line. Is that correct? Well, in, in my mother lodge, yes, in Burns Lodge. I've been through the line in, in a lodge in Florida where I, was, I lived there for 20-plus years. So I went through oh. the line there. So I am a past master of, of Florida Lodge. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, so as you look at, at the paths that you've taken, what, what caused you to make the decision to get into the line? I know for me it was a, it, it was a few months after my, my raising, and I was tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, do you have a tuxedo? And what are you doing for the next 14 years? Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Somebody told me I would be serving pie, and that was the end of it. Uh, but it's been a great journey. So what what's caused you to make the decisions uh, that you've made as you've gone through your journey to take on more and more responsibility? And, and, you know, Brother Brown, knowing this about you now, go through the line a second time. Well, it Burns Lodge has been in my heart for 50 years, you know. So I've always wanted to, to uh, be in the line. Um, I did start before I moved to Florida, and before I got married, I was in the line, uh, but was not able to continue because I got accepted into grad school and went to Florida, and that kind of threw things out, a killer. So uh, when I had the opportunity in Florida to, to uh, affiliate with a lodge and get in line there, it was just a, a natural step for me to to step in and say, "Hey, I want to, I want to go." And fortunately, I was able to, to move through the line rather quickly. There were a couple of gentlemen who had misfortunes and weren't able to to move up the line the, the way they were supposed to. And so I got I got there a little quicker than I probably should have, but uh, it was a it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. As a matter of fact, it was one of those one of those experiences that you kind of put on your, your list is when you're elected master, it's right top of the list. Yep. I, I can see where you're coming from there. Absolutely. Um, Brother Cole, you, you have an interesting uh, story or, or an interesting situation. I don't know how many brothers I've met who served as district deputy 
grandmaster <laughs> in two separate grand jurisdictions, never mind two separate districts. So how, what is it that has driven you to, to serve the fraternity at the level you've chosen to serve it? I, I think basically what did that was the encouragement from my mentor, um, the love and the friendship of the brethren, and seeing what I was getting out of Freemasonry, I wanted to help. Because in my story is not only was I a district deputy and two, I was raised in April of 1996, but in September I was installed as a junior deacon. Two years later, I was serving as senior warden, and the year after that I served master for two years. And after doing that, as master of the lodge, I was also serving on the district line. And I follow some really impressive district deputies in Massachusetts who showed me what, when I first watched suites and visitations, I wasn't too impressed, but then talking with my mentor and everything and watching the way the district deputies worked, it really piqued my interest and, uh, and was totally shocked when the Grand Master of Massachusetts had selected me because I was so young in masonry. And during my term as a district deputy in Mass, I had to deal with um, a change in the redistricting in my second year. And so that was a real challenge. Coming to New Hampshire, I thought I was just going to kick back and take it easy. My wife had hoped I was going to kick up and take it easy. And then um, a district deputy grand lecturer had decided he couldn't pull two years. So the DDGM asked me to fill in for a year. And I did that. Next thing I know, Paul Leary is not knocking on my door and said, would you please? And uh, since um, my wife had just suffered through cancer and uh, I stuck by her through that time, she says, yeah, go ahead and play and have a good time. And uh, it's been a great experience. I've met a lot of people, worked with a lot of people. And um, I'm hoping that during those four years as district deputy, I've made a good impression on the Masons that I've come across. And now, uh, Brother Roth, you've similarly served as uh, District Deputy Grand Master. Um, so, again, same question. What What is it that sort of drove you to, to serve the fraternity in that way? Well, a couple of things. When I first joined back in 1982, I was uh, in the middle of a, a master's program. And so, like others, that my lodge immediately asked me to get involved. And I said, um, no, I'm doing a master's program. I had a son who was a year and a half old. I wanted to spend time with him. He was uh, a long time coming. So that was something very precious to me. But one of my brothers came back to me after I finished my master's program and asked me to take a part um, in a Master Mason degree. And following that, it, it was the uh, chaplain I was filling in as the chaplain. And following that, I was asked to be the lodge chaplain at Horace Chase. And um, so I did that. Then I was asked to get in line. Uh, okay, I'll do that. And it, it was tough. It was tough because there were great expectations by my lodge. Um, Ritual-wise, and, and at one period of time, we had a stated meeting on the third Thursday of the month. The first Thursday of the month was an apprentice, the second was a fellow craft, and the fourth was an MM. So we, we really were busy, and that was, that was great. That really instilled a, a work ethic in, in many of us as we went through uh, the line. And then uh, I had the, the good fortune of following uh, Albert P. Burgess. Uh, he was the master of my lodge when I was senior warden. And then, of course, he got involved in Grand Lodge right after stepping out of the master's position. And uh, I did likewise, I think, because he made some great suggestions in my behalf. Uh, so I was honored to, to accept and uh, just continue balancing a lot of different things with work. Uh, a son who, as growing up, was very active in sports. So like many others, I would uh, get in my tuxedo, stand on the sideline for a soccer game in uh, Rochester or, or Dover, someplace over in the East Coast, and then uh, hurry off to 
a district meeting somewhere here in the fourth district. Uh, so I would be there for the first half and leave and travel on. But it was always a pleasure and it's always an honor for me to be included and to know grandmasters. And uh, you just couldn't find any better brother than those who were involved in Grand Lodge or in masonry in New Hampshire. So it was always a pleasure to do that. So you're, you're talking about a, a pretty full plate uh, as you're coming up through the line in your lodge and then through the grand uh, positions you've held. How do, you, how do you think you've balanced it all? What was the key to your success in balancing uh, work, life, and masonry all at once? Number one for me was a, a, a wife who uh, understood the good that masonry would do, not only for me as a, an individual, but for my brethren and for the, our community. So that was that was number one. Um, I was able to balance it because I worked uh, in a job that if I needed to take a, an hour or half an hour or whatever it was, take time off at the end of the day, I was able to, to arrange for that. Um, I, I guess I just uh, did what I had to do. I think that's all we can ask of, of anyone at this point, right? You know, I don't think it was different than a, a lot of my my uh, brother Masons who do the same thing because they enjoy what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, brother Cole, we have a comment in the chat here from uh, Brother Andrew Lane. Just wants to let you know that you've always left a great impression on him, and he always enjoys seeing you in Blue Lodge or York Raid. So well, I, appreciate, I appreciate that very much. It makes me feel really good. It's very rewarding. Um, one of the things I heard in this conversation as we've been going through is, uh, brother Brown, you mentioned that you joined the fraternity and then very shortly thereafter, uh, were called to service, uh, in the military. How would you say that your experience, uh, as a Mason serving in the military was for you? How, how did that work? Well, for me, for me, it was an unusual situation. Um, I was sent from Great Lakes Naval Training Center to Little Creek, Virginia, and my A school was there. I walked in to the A school and met my instructor, and he looked down and saw a Masonic ring on my finger and said, come with me. I said, uh-oh, what, what have I done now? <laughs> I haven't even been here 20 seconds, you know. And he took me from room to room to room to room and introduced me to chief petty officers and first class petty officers and whatever uh, throughout, the, throughout the building. And the next thing I knew, I graduated through, through the school. And uh, I know it was because he made a point of pointing out that we were brothers. And uh, they look out for you and each other, and it was a, a wonderful experience. And when I got to my final destination in the Navy, which was Jacksonville Naval Air Station, uh, I met another brother um, who became almost a, a second father to me for the time that I was in Jacksonville. Um, matter of fact, later, later on in years when I Went to graduate school back down. I said I left the fraternity to go back to graduate school. Uh, one night he called me up and said, Hey, David, you want to become a Shriner? <laughs> I'd love to, but I, I can't afford that now. I'm, I'm in grad school. He said, That's not what I said. He said, Do you want to become a Shriner? I said, Yeah, I'd love to. He says, Okay, have your butt up in Jacksonville on such and such a date. I'm putting you through. And Totally unexpected, I'm right out of the blue, you know. And uh, I've tried to pass that on as, as much as I can to, to young men who have the inclination, you know. And that was that's just one, one example of many that I could give you. Now, uh, Brother Cole, you, you bring a different experience. You didn't mention this, but it was something that uh, we talked about prior to going live with the episode. You joined Freemasonry very shortly after you retired from your military career. That's absolutely correct. Because uh, basically, when I got out of high school, I enlisted in the Air Force and served during the Vietnam War for three years and two months. And then I joined the reserves for 20 years. 
And when I retired from the Air Force in 95, um, I decided that uh, I had to find something to replace uh, what I'd be missing in the Air Force. So I decided there were three paths I would take. I would try Freemasonry, I would try horseback riding, and I would try Taekwondo. Uh, taekwondo just didn't work out. Horseback riding has become one of the loves of my life. And Freemasonry has made such a great impression that um, I, my wife keeps forgetting that when I really love something, I get deeply involved. And obviously, I must really love it because the fact that 24 years in an organization with all the time I put in, and let's not forget uh, York Wright as well. It's just been, I think it's just done so much for me, um, especially in the fact of not being afraid to speak to people and public anymore. It's been a, a big basis. So I think that worked well. I went through a lot of training, the Air Force and stuff and leadership schools and NCO academies, but it was masonry, I think, that did more for me. Wow. And um, I guess one of the questions that I, ha I have for all three of you is masonry has changed a lot in the 10 years that I've been a member. I've seen a focus grow on a Masonic education, I've seen focus on, you know, obviously these online forums in the last year that we've been we've been working on. There have been a lot of changes to the way that masonry works. And given the length of time that you've spent as masons and, and the work that you've seen and the involvement you've had, what do you think has been the, the largest change you've seen over your career in Freemasonry? And I will go from from youngest to oldest here. Uh, Earl, what do you what have you seen? Uh, well, what I've seen more especially in New Hampshire is education. Uh, education is extremely important because so many Masons today are taught how to do their ritual and they're dropped aside. And we talk about what we learn in Masonry and it's just not there. I had an interesting conversation with one of the Masons in my lodge who felt that New Hampshire was getting back on the right track again and making education, holding these forums, these seminars like the EA and the Master Mason seminars. And it's meaning a lot because no one does that in lodge. It got become a lost art. And um, so that's very important. But I think what's missing though is also the fact of having a very good and strong mentor. There's a good strong mentor is what is going to keep this fraternity and the members alive? To have a Mason come in and be told this is what you do, this is what Masonry is about, but nobody takes them by the hand. As I said, when I first became a Mason, right worshipful Bob Crockett, who was a secretary of our lodge, he would take me to the various visitations and explain things to me. And then he would take me to various seminars. Um, and again, and then I came to New Hampshire, and there wasn't so much of that, but the past Grand Masters have made, and the current Grand Masters, has made leaps and bounds in trying to get more education out there. And I, I commend them very heartily for that. Yeah, I think that uh, you've all mentioned it, but you certainly mentioned strong mentors in the fraternity, people who have shaped your careers in this fraternity and the path you've taken. And I think that's really important. And it is something you see fall by the wayside a lot. I know that, um, not to not to speak out of turn, but I know that I've seen brothers come in. They've certainly been taught their ritual. They've been taught the things they need to say. They've been taught how to act. But oftentimes that, that does get lost after their Master Mason degree. And I think that that's a very important part of ongoing Masonic education. Uh, Brother Roth, how about you? What, uh, what do you think has been the, the largest change you've seen in, in the fraternity? Well, I think uh, certainly one of them, I don't know if it, it actually is the largest, but certainly one of them is the electronic media that we have available in terms of communications. Uh, certainly in this time that we've been in since since March, electronic media has been able to keep us connected, keep us together, even if we aren't able to uh, be face-to-face, -face, person to person uh, in contact with one another. But it's opened up all kinds of opportunities uh, frankly, as as a an institution, 
if we haven't done this, our members would be doing it on their own. They would be communicating with each other with smaller groups. Uh, and I think, frankly, that that's a way to keep the future of the masonry uh, alive, to be able to communicate no matter where you are uh, with a group of masons. And it may not be your lodge membership back home. It may be a group that's uh, just happens to be online. I think we've seen that develop over a period of time. So the ability to communicate through electronic media is certainly uh, something that enables our Masonic fraternity to continue. Yeah, the last, we brought this up on a lot of the, the previous episodes and we brought it up at the Grand Masters in our previous episode. The last seven months have certainly uh, hastened the changing of the landscape to online media and and venues like this have really blown up and become very, very popular. And it's interesting, as you said, that you may not find yourself on an evening spending time with your, your brothers from your home lodge, but you can find yourself any evening of the week uh, a way to spend time and, and discuss Freemasonry with, with brothers all over the world. Right. Brother Brown, uh, how about you? Well, I, I think Earl and, and Mark have covered, covered the field. Um, I just think that the important thing is, as Earl mentioned, in the, in the mentoring. Uh, we get we get the brothers in. We get them to teach them their catechism. They they do everything that they're supposed to do. But then we have to get them involved, and that's the other thing that I think is is most important to to the fraternity is to is to keep the brothers involved because I know I've seen in the, the several lodges that I belong to the you bring a brother in and if he doesn't have that mentor and he doesn't have somebody to to say hey come on let's let's go do this let's participate in this uh eventually they're going to slide off to the side and not participate and then you'll see that they don't show up for a meeting and then they don't show up for two meetings and then they don't show up for six months and then you've lost them except they may be paying their dues but somewhere down the line they may decide not to do that even. And then you've lost a good brother somewhere. Yeah. I think that we've all seen that, you know, even in my relatively short career as a, a Freemason and certainly as an officer of my lodge, getting involved is one of the most important things that you can do with a new brother as they come through the door. Because as you said, otherwise they just, they disappear. I can't count on both hands and both feet. The number of brothers I've seen, uh, who have who have left the fraternity without a word, and, and when you try and get back in touch with them, you can't you can't get them on the phone. Yep. it's a real shame. So, having now discussed that and and processing through a little bit of your experience, when you look forward to the future of Freemasonry, the next five, fifteen, twenty years, what do you think uh, the fraternity will look like? Let's say ten years from now. What do you think is going to be the landscape that we, we operate in? David? Uh, that's that's, a, that's a, a question that I kind of try to answer almost every day. And I really can't put my finger on where it's going or how it's going to get there, except that the, the electronic communications are so vital. Um, it, it has to be a major part of, of what we do down the road. Um, I just I just find that uh, communication is, is so important. You got to have an open door. You got to be able to listen. And uh, speaking of listening, right, Worshipful David Rich, uh, up up in the Eighth District. What a guy! I'm telling you, yeah, he, he ought to get a, an extra an extra star on his lapel because he's he's kept Burns Lodge going when nobody else would and Dennis Sheridan also I I owe him a great deal of thanks for keeping that lodge going we're small but we're coming back I mean you're you're no small part of that either uh, uh David I think it's you know it's important to note here and and this is 
something that I think is exceptionally unique for you. Uh, you go to lodge in Littleton, New Hampshire, which is uh, way up there in the 8th District. But you live uh, down in Marlboro, is that correct? That is correct. Marlboro, so you're, yes. <laughs> you're one of those guys who, who keeps those lodges and, and keeps this fraternity moving forward. And I think that's an important thing to recognize about yourself. Thank you. Uh, Mark, how about you? What do you, what do you foresee as the future of uh, Freemasonry? Well, it's odd to say, but I think the future is going to rely on being flexible. Um, I, you know, we, we have our ritual, which is the core that we, we all learn. We all uh, hold that dear to our hearts, and that's, that's our uh, foundation, our base. But some of the rest of it is, I think, uh, open for flexibility as we move forward. You know, we, we found in the Scottish Rite that men are looking for something like Freemasonry, something that goes beyond themselves, that can make them good men. Uh, it, it's there. And they want that. But the traditional uh, form of that may be uh, something that is not quite as convenient to them. So I think the future, we need to be looking at uh, maybe being a little more flexible. I I know in New Hampshire we can lead a earl you like this. We can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, kind of thing. <laughs> well, um, maybe we have to do a little bit more than lead him there. I, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I think that uh, as we move forward, we have to be more in tune with some of the men out there that want us and we want them and we have to make that known to them. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good point. I think uh, the most worshipful, uh, most worshipful brother clay has given us a lot of flexibility in these, these times that we're living in. Now my lodge just last month, we held our first uh, zoom stated meeting. So we held our, we did our ritual opening. We turned on the zoom meeting. We had brothers uh, who either couldn't join us or, or weren't comfortable joining because of the pandemic. And they were able to participate in the conversation and, and be a part of the lodge experience despite being at home and, and in a place where they were more comfortable at the time. I think that's a, an exceptionally important aspect of the future. And the Scottish Rite uh, is certainly an example of that. The virtual degrees that they put on over the course of the last six months and the watch parties that I've seen uh, pop up where you have brothers getting together in lodges so people can watch from home or they can get together with brothers in their local lodge and watch is, is a real innovation that is going to be something I, I hope drives Freemasonry forward in a positive manner. We've, we've been very fortunate to have uh, some electronic media so that we could, again, keep that connection with our brothers. And it's really Interesting. I, I noticed uh, Brian Ellis on here tonight. I've come to know Brian through Scottish Rite, but we we see constantly that there are chats going on between Maine and Illinois and Wisconsin and Delaware all across our jurisdiction when we do these. And brothers are connecting with each other, and it, it's really really a great experience. And of course, they get to see some fantastic degrees. So. It's worked out Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So, Earl, how about you? What do you, what do you see as the, the future of Freemasonry? Well, you know, Tim, that's a really tough question because when I was in Massachusetts, I attended a Masonic Leadership Institute, and it was broken into teams, and we had, over a summer, had to have a project. And one of our projects was to interview the Brethren in the Lodges to see what would make them come to lodge and what would keep masonry alive. And the answer is just not easily available. I think a lot of it's going to be is getting the society to really see us, maybe breaking down and not advertising saying, come join Freemasonry, but advertising Freemasonry is here and this is what we do. This new project that's come up, not just a man is a mason, looks like a really good way to go. But the other thing is trying to work closer with the brethren in our lodges 
find out what their problems are and being able to attend Lodge and see what you can do. Because I know we've lost brethren, usually the younger ones, because of their families, their new families, they have children. And today's society is requesting more of them, either to work harder, to support their kids in their out-of-school out activities. And the other thing is, when we, we have to stop trying to get quantity of Masons, we've got to find quality. Because bringing a Mason in just to get a man through that door is not gonna keep Masonry alive. Um, this is what we have to really take a strong, hard look at. And um, I think that's gonna help a lot. Otherwise, what I see is lodges are gonna have to probably merge, we'll probably have three or four lodges become one in a district um, just to keep lodges alive. We've got to get out there. We've got to let the public. How many times have you been out on the street and you tell people, I, I was in Jaffa the other day and uh, running a chip program or something. And they say, well, I didn't know Mason still existed. We have to let the public know that Masonry existed, not just from movies like National Treasure. National Treasure gets them in, but they have to know what masonry is. We have to advertise. And I think that's the only way masonry is going to continue strong. I, I think that's exceptionally uh, relevant to your personal experience. You know, as you said with, with Uncle George, yep. uh, the the doors have to be opened. And, and I know that for some brothers, that's that's a struggle to come to terms with that. And... I think it's very important that we maintain our traditions and our, our past. Uh, as, as Mark said, you know, our ritual is the, the cornerstone of our fraternity, but there are so many ways to engage people today that we need to embrace. And I think you're, I think you're all right. I think that's really where the future of this fraternity lives. I, I think um, you're, I, I'm sorry, Tim, but no, you see ahead. United Grand Lodge of England opening their doors to the public. They are. Yeah, they had a Netflix documentary, right? Exactly. Very definitely. So it shows that they know that they have to change. There has to be a change so that people know that we're here. I, I agree with that completely. And I would go further that, as I was saying, lead a horse to water. You know, I, when we see a man that would make a great brother, we need to really talk to that. Maybe we don't ask him to join but we do everything we can to let him know that this fraternity is for him. It is something that could he could make a great contribution to, and we can make a great contribution to him and his personal development. And uh, I, I think in many cases, men look at us, they may know that, they may or may not know that we still exist, but they don't think that it's for them because they just don't know. And so I, I think it's up to us to let them know that it is for them, particularly when we see someone that is a potentially great Mason. I, I also think that slogan of to be one, ask one was a great slogan, but may not have really worked because I think still there are men out there who don't know <clears throat> become a Mason, you have to know a Mason. That's right. And that's why they don't ask. And I think also the problem is they don't know, they may not know you're a Mason. I mean, they may see your ring, but they don't know it's a Masonic ring. You know, they unless they ask you. And just the words have to get out there. You're absolutely right. May I jump in, Tim? Uh, absolutely. I, also, uh, being involved in the community like a year ago, uh, Burns Lodge participated in a Christmas parade, uh, which they had not done for years and years and years and years. And the Grandmaster gave us permission to, to march in the parade with regalia. And we had the Eastern Star with us. And there were people along the parade route saying, I didn't know they still existed. I didn't know they were there. And you got you got to be out front. You got to be seen, and our our lodge is making a an effort to become involved with the chamber of commerce in the area. Uh, we're having a little difficulty making contact because of leadership problems with the with the chamber. But 
uh, we want to become part of the chamber. We want to be, be part of the community. And not only in Littleton, but in the surrounding area. Because if we don't get out there and get seen, nobody's going to know we're here. That's very true. I know that, you know, Rising Sun is, has made an effort in the past to march in parades. I think that's a fantastic way to be seen in your community. And the community is, it, it is not the focus of the fraternity, but I think in a lot of ways, it is a great opportunity for us to do that outreach. And being active in your community, whether as a lodge or as an individual who is known to be a Mason is a really great way to start. Um, I think one of the questions that I would like to ask, so I sent you all a question and said, what, what would you view as your proudest accomplishment in masonry? And I know that a lot of guys, uh, certainly don't like to talk about themselves in such a way. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a different question in your Masonic career. I know I couldn't answer that question. I, I would feel very uncomfortable doing it, but in your Masonic career, what do you think was the most impactful moment you've experienced to date? Earl, why don't we start with you? Well, I think I've got a couple. And um, one of them is the fact that when I first got into Freemasonry and everything else, the CHIP program, the Children's Identification Program, it just started. And for you youngsters out there, back then, we were using videotapes. And uh, when I was district deputy, the past grandmaster in, who lived in North Reading said, Earl, I want to run a chip program in all the schools in North Reading. And we launched a major program and hit these schools. And there was one school we did. We had to set up 10 videotape cameras with tripods, police officers with black ink for the ink prints, dental assistants for dental impressions. And we hit all these, you know, it was quite, quite the project. The other thing that really made an impression, um, as I said, I became, I think I was senior warden in 1997. It was around the time Grand Lodge of Massachusetts recognized Prince Hall Grand Lodge again. And we decided to exchange degrees with Prince Hall. And as a result of that, I met a very wonderful man and brother, Right Worshipful Red Mitchell. And I did the senior warden's role in the um, first degree. And we became extremely close friends as a part of that. We worked on many projects. One was we had a brotherhood day in the state of Massachusetts in which we had Masons from Massachusetts and elsewhere join with Prince Hall Grand Masons. We went to the Paul Revere website, uh, burial site, made some speeches and presentations bust on over to the Prince Hall burial site, and then all broke bread together. Later on, I was asked to be on a committee that uh, helped build a uh, memorial to Prince Hall at the Commons in Cambridge, because the city of Cambridge recognized Prince Hall as a founder of this country. And wow. um, it was great to be a part of that project, to be one of the ones who dug the dirt for the um, the memorial, and then to be there with Masons from Prince Hall from around the world at this event. It was just so magnificent to see. Um, and those made a lot of really big impressions on me. Um, and it's just something I'll never forget. How about you, Mark? Uh, well, uh, I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of good things happen to me in this fraternity. Uh, and that's all encompassing everything I've done in Freemasonry. Uh, but what has struck me the most, I think, is years after something that I didn't even think of as terribly important, someone will come back to me and say, you know, what you did for dad or or what you did for some other person. Um, that, you know, I, I never thought was anything special. It was just part of what we do as a fraternity or what I did just because I had a position at the time, but would have been uh, something that any other person in that same position would have done. 
that's that's the thing that kind of drives home who we are and what we do. It's it's not that I did anything out of the ordinary that anyone else wouldn't have done, but it's the it's what we do for our our members, for our brothers and their families. I guess uh, I can't point to any one thing. It's just uh, it's just uh, glad to be part of it. Glad to be able to do what what we are doing. Yeah, I think uh, you make a great point about just doing the things that we do and the impact it has on other people being very impactful for us. I, for me, just to, to jump in here quickly, I would say that the two most impactful memories that I have uh, in my time are the first Masonic funeral service I attended and the first Masonic funeral service that I presided over as master because it really allows you to see the brotherhood and the love that, that Masons share for one another and the ability that we have to to give back to our, our members in, in, in a way that they may never get to experience because obviously they, they've left us, but I think it leaves a deep and lasting impression on their families. And to see that impression, it, it really made a, a, an impact on me uh, more than more than a few times over the course of the last decade. David, how about you? What would you say uh, is your most impactful moment in masonry? Well, my, like Earl said, there's, there's more than one, and I, I'll, I think I touched on one earlier. Was first when I was elected master in my lodge. Secondly, when I was knighted in KYCH. And then finally, uh, most recently, when I received the Major General John Sullivan Medal here in New Hampshire. Um, didn't expect it, of course, and it just blew me away. And it still touches my heart. Thank you. Is is there anything um, we're going to start to wrap up? And I guess I have two questions left. Is there anything that over the course of your Masonic career you would have done differently uh, in looking back at everything you've done? We'll start with you, David. Uh, I I think I have to say I would not get as involved as quickly in as many bodies as I did. Um, I jump in with, with both feet and go, 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 and probably wears me down a little bit faster than it should have. Um, I, I think a, a little more time would have been better, but on the other hand, if you don't do it, you don't know what you're missing. That is absolutely the truth, and, and probably very similar to, to a lot of stories Jumping into the officer line, certainly, and jumping into appendant bodies is one of those things that uh, happens to probably every one of us. And at some point, we we love the experiences we've gone through. But I know that for me, I, I haven't joined any of the appendant bodies, but I know that uh, maybe taking just a little bit longer to sit on the sidelines uh, would have done some good. I love where I am now, but I know that the position I was in 10 years ago when I joined the line was certainly not uh, where I expected myself to be. Mm -hmm. How about you, Mark? Well, I, I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world, uh, but my family commitments uh, prevented me from doing even more in masonry. I guess if there was something in masonry that I would have liked to have done, it would have been to travel more. Um, to and, and I don't do very much of that, and I, I never have. Uh, Lodges throughout the state or in other states. Uh, I know I know some brothers who have done that and they thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, I just have never done that. And I think if there'd be something I change, I would have um, started a different habit than what I did <laughs> and traveled more frequently. I can understand that. How about you, Earl? Well, I think it's pretty obviously. I've got a couple of things. It's kind of reversed. One is I think a year of sitting on the sidelines would have helped me a lot instead of jumping in from April as a master mason to junior deacon in September would have helped a lot. And then a year after that, there was a one day class for the shrine in York Wright all in one day. 
um, which was fine. But I think kind of on the reverse side, I unfortunately listened to a friend of mine and at that time didn't join York Wright. And I'm sorry York Wright came so long in my life. But I think the biggest thing would have been just to have slowed down at least that first year. And it's what I try to do when I have a new Mason and Charity Lodge. I try to let them sit for a year before I try to get them to appendic bodies. I know we're all trying hard to get them in there. But I think a Blue Lodge Mason needs a year to sit back, take in what he's experienced, and to watch it. And I wish I had had that opportunity. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we can invite every single member of this fraternity uh, onto this show and ask them the same question. And for those of us who, who joined the lodge or joined every appendant body under the sun, I think we'd all have the same answer. It really is just one of, and I know for me, it was, I want to be involved. I want to be involved. And for the lodge, it was, we need somebody to fill this chair. This guy's young and he's ready to go. And I know that it was just a little bit too soon. I think mine was the exact same uh, timeline as yours. I was raised in April and I, I was asked to sit as junior steward in September. So uh, we do have a message uh, from the most worshipful. Uh, so we have Ken Clay says, uh, please express my thanks to these fine brethren and to myself and Chris for making a delightful podcast happen. So brethren, thank you so much uh, on behalf of myself and the grandmaster uh, to wrap up. I have one question and let's let's ignore what we just talked about because we know that's the advice that we would give. But our next episode, we're looking for three brothers who are brand new to the fraternity. We're going to look at their experiences and, and what they're looking forward to. And I think that at some point, we're going to look at them in light of what you shared with us. In quick summation, what would you say to that brother who sits in, in this chair uh, on December 13th for our next episode? Earl, we'll start with you. What would I say to the brother as far as his masonry goes? Absolutely. The thing I tell every young mason is the fact is, number one is, if you're going to get anything out of masonry, you have to get involved. Travel. Get to meet other masons and learn. Learn, learn, learn. Don't, don't stay away. Don't be afraid to talk to another mason there's so many times a young mason will come in and he'll sit in the sidelines in a chair but i would strongly suggest him to get involved by talking to the masons don't be afraid to say no and give yourself some breathing air make sure you know what you want to do but do get involved when you can and travel as much as you can because this meet so many different brothers that's when you find out more and more that masonry is more than ritual. It's more than an education. It's a brotherhood. And um, I learned that when I went to Italy. What an experience that was. So, I, I have had similar experiences traveling internationally and just visiting Grand Lodges and visiting lodges all over the place. You, you really do get an experience uh, traveling and just stopping by on an international trip can, can really change your view of this fraternity in a, in a lot of good ways. Mark, how about you? Well, I'm tempted to say I wouldn't say much to the to the new master Mason. I would say more to the master of his lodge, but I won't do that. That's not the question. Uh, I I would agree with Earl, uh, but I would I would ask them to commit to coming to every lodge meeting uh, for at least six months, maybe for a year. And yes, don't. Don't be afraid to say no, but in that time frame, that new member will find out what the lodge is all about. And I'm sure he will be asked many times to do something, to partake something, to go along with something, to take an office, whatever. And and whatever his decision is, it, it is. But to commit to coming back to lodge for at least six months, a year, whatever the case may be, that would be... Uh, that would be what I'd say to him. Commit to that. Don't join unless you can commit to that. I, I like that approach. And David, we'll finish it off with you. What What is your advice? I have to agree with, with Earl and Mark, and, and I will just add 
uh, one of my brothers who lives out of out of state, uh, we were on a conversation on the phone a while back, and he said, you know, when I was traveling, he said, I used to go into a lodge, and I would find one of the older members to sit beside, not the, not the young guys, but one of the one of the older members. And he said, it's amazing you what you can learn when you sit by one of these old guys because they'll tell you what's going on, point blank. And and I think that's important. Go go sit by one of us old guys now. You know, I now consider myself an old guy, and uh, <laughs> I hope somebody comes and sits, sits down beside me. I, you know, I think that today's conversation has proven that sitting next to the old guy can probably lend you a lot of wisdom and a a lot of experience in Freemasonry and give you a really good picture. So uh, thank you, Aaron, for joining us this evening. It was a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you, everybody who's watching us this evening. I really hope that uh, you were able to learn some found value in this conversation. I certainly know I did. And we'll see you again on December 13th. For episode four, we're just getting started where we're going to meet with three brand new brothers to the fraternity and see what it is they have uh, in store for their Masonic journey. So thank you again, everyone. Uh, it's been great having you and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you.